Welcome back. Good to see you again, Richard. Uh, good morning. Good Still morning. Good. So here we are. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to continue our conversation from last week about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Right. Last week, we talked about some of the symptoms and, and the prevalence uh, of ADHD. And, and this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the diagnosis and treatment uh, of right. ADHD. Right. Yeah, we, um, when it comes to diet, you know, there's so much controversy with this. And again, as we're looking through all the materials on this, there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of articles mm-hmm. on ADHD. And you think the last word certainly had to be said on this on this topic but we find that it, it hasn't been said. Right. And what we mentioned last week was that we often forget that there's a new generation of parents coming and they really don't know anything about ADHD unless they either had it themselves or they had a family member. And so what we wanted to do is to provide this update for those parents and families who are, who are just discovering this disorder for the first time. Right. So we want to sort of do an update, talk about diagnosis and treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think as we talk about diagnosis and we talk about, you know, what what we go through when we're when we're looking at symptoms to to lead to a diagnosis, you know, we want to begin by saying that just because you have symptoms doesn't mean you have a diagnosis. I wish, you know, I wish we could say that about five times. You know, you have to remember that just because you have the symptoms you don't necessarily have a diagnosis. And one of the things that you and I tear our hair out about is people going on to Google, especially you know children and teenagers, they go to Google and they see symptoms and say, oh, I, must have, I must have that, okay? No, we all have symptoms of ADHD at right. one time or another. It doesn't mean we have the diagnosis. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that we, I, I have found myself saying to a lot of especially kids and teenagers, as you said, is, uh, but also adults, is that just because you're bored or just because you're disinterested in something doesn't mean that you have ADHD. You know, right. any of us can sit in, in a classroom or in a meeting, and if we're not interested in what's being said or if there's, you know, lots of other things on our mind or lots of other things happening in our lives, you know, we can very easily be taken off task or we can very easily find ourselves distracted by other thoughts or other things that we have to do. That's not ADHD, not necessarily, right? right. Yep. Yeah, the primary symptoms of ADHD are poor impulse control, um, inattention, the inability to focus and attend, uh, being bored easily, um, maybe being overactive. So, So those are the three primary symptoms. But all of us can experience those things at one time or another. And those same things can be caused by ADHD or by depression or by anxiety or by, you know, just having family problems, marital problems, um, or doing poorly in school, having learning problems or, or you know, surviving trauma. Any of those things can cause or be associated with the same exact same characteristics that we see in children with ADHD. So we need to be very careful. 
Absolutely. So, so ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. And, and so that means that there, there are differences in the brains of, of people with ADHD versus people who don't have ADHD. Now, that's not diagnostic, meaning that you can't go and, you know, get the fancy machines and take a picture right. of a person's brain and be able to say, oh, that's a, that person has ADHD. It doesn't work like that. It, it's more... Um, you know, if you take a whole bunch of people with ADHD and look at their brains and compare their 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 average brain to uh, the average brain of people without ADHD, there are differences. Right. Um, so that so it's that's very different. We know that there's something in the brain that's different for people with ADHD, but you just can't use that as a measurement for determining whether a person has it or not. Yeah. And and when we talk about making a diagnosis or confirming that it is ADHD, many people still don't believe that ADHD really exists. All right. True ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. That means that there is something different in the brains of individuals who have ADHD. It's not made up. It's not recent. It's not because of video games. There are brain differences in people who have who who have this disorder um, and it and it and it impairs them the other problem is that the neurodevelopmental differences um, create some impairment in these people so not only do we need to um, rule in that there is impairment so that's the first job you have to say okay there is impairment but the second thing you have to do is make sure that whatever symptoms there are are not caused by something other than ADHD. So it's a two-part process. Right. You know, when we, as we do evaluations for, for ADHD, one of the things that we, we do is we put a person, we may put a person through a series of, of tasks to look at their ability to focus and, and to, you know, organize their thoughts and, and those kinds of things. And even with the direct testing that we can do, I think it's important that people recognize that, all the testing tells us is yes, the person has difficulty focusing. Right. It, doesn't, it still doesn't tell us if it's because of ADHD or if it's because of anxiety. And so, you know, Richard, how many reports have we read from other practitioners who who do you may do hours worth of testing on a on a kid, and the, it comes back with they meet diagnostic criteria for ADHD and mm-hmm. depression and anxiety, and you know they need treatment. Well. They probably we probably knew all of that to begin with because all you're doing is saying that they they have inattention and and some of these behaviors and it could be because of any of these reasons. That's right. And so what we do when we meet with the child and we meet with the parents, all we want to be able to do is to say, "I observed inattention. I am I observed poor impulse control. Right. I observed hyperactivity. Uh, we made those observations. So we put the child through certain tests." We don't find ADHD. Right. We confirm that the child has this, and then we meet with the parents and other people who know the child and say, and it's not because the child is depressed or anxious or traumatized. Okay. So, so we also have to take a very careful clinical history to say it's not these things. We did observe, we did make the observations. It's not these things, and the child is really struggling. Okay. Right. Then we can move toward a diagnosis. There's no test for ADHD. Right. There's no neuroimaging, PET scan, MRI, CT. There is no test for ADHD. There's right. no paper and pencil test for ADHD. Right. All these tasks that we do are designed to 
did I observe those symptoms? Right. And is it because of ADHD? Right. And, and I think that you used just the right word that we, we want to emphasize, and that is clinical. Right. ADHD, just like depression and anxiety and schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and all of these other conditions, these are all what you call clinical diagnoses. And that means right. there's, again, there's not any test, there's not blood work or anything like that that you can do um, to assess any of these mental health conditions. They're all clinical diagnoses. Right. And now that is what introduces so much controversy as it relates to them, because, you know, um, at, at some level, I suppose there, there is some subjectivity to, um, to, to some of these diagnoses. We've talked on many podcasts before about how a kid with ADHD may demonstrate some of the exact same behaviors as a kid right. who's diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. Mm -hmm. Behaviors are exactly the same. But the people who report on it or the psychologists or therapists doing the observations attribute the behavior to either inattention and difficulty focusing, ADHD, or as intentional willful behaviors, oppositional defiant disorder. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything different about the kid or how the right. kid's behaving. It just means that the people who are talking about it talk about it differently. Exactly. And so same that's where the clinical piece is so important. Right. Yeah, you observe the same things. Yeah. And so when we when we talk to parents, especially new parents, and we talk about what is impaired, you know, we say when we talk about impairment, it you can you can think of impairment in five categories. Right. You can talk about impaired behavior. Yeah. Um, they don't have impulse control, they don't self-regulate, they have higher activity level, they talk too much or their thinking, their cognition, uh, they don't have adequate attention or memory uh, get, get affected, or it can, it can impair them in academic areas, especially mm -hmm. reading and math. Socially, they have more problems than other kids. They, they, they don't interact successfully with adults and peers. Typically what you hear about kids with ADHD is they're a nuisance, right? You know, they're, not, they're not destructive or dangerous. They're just a nuisance. They're always talking, they're always moving, they're bugging other kids, they're interrupting, uh, they're well, distracting themselves and others. And then also you have emotional difficulties. Right. Um, remember these kids, they suffer from recurring punishments because they are misbehaving, they are too active, they are too impulsive. They're always being corrected, they're always being yelled at. And so it begins to damage their self-esteem and their self-confidence, okay? Yeah. So, so if you're a parent of a child, Think about behavior, cognition, academics, their social development and their emotional development. And we try to figure out where is the impairment? Which area is the impairment? Right. And one thing I would add on the social piece is that, yeah, they, they're often seen as many times they may be seen as a nuisance or or as um, maybe an annoying or just right. ir irritating. But at the same time, they're often seen as a lot of fun. <laughs> when, when you're out of the playground, when you're doing something like that, there, there's a lot of fun there, you know, because right. they're just constantly, they may constantly be going and, and wanting to play and just, you know, they want to have a good time. Um, they're, because they're constantly seeking that stimulation. Uh, for they seek time. stimulation. They're, they're, right. It's funny, when it comes to, they're always seeking stimulation, but they're overwhelmed by stimulation at the same time. Okay, so they're they're it's it's always a, a two-edged sword with these kids. 
Absolutely. So, so again, as we think about the diagnosis, you know, we, we, we talked last week about how there are, you know, there, there are nine um, diagnostic symptoms that we look at uh, for inattention. Uh, there are nine that we look at for hyperactive impulsive, and we go through them. There, there are these 18 symptoms altogether. Mm-hmm. And those 18 symptoms may be present in one person and look one way, they could be present in another person and look completely different. Right. And so even though you have these common symptoms uh, that we use for, for the diagnosis, the way in which they manifest can be can vary greatly from one person to another. And again, this is where that clinical piece comes in where you, you know, the person that's doing the diagnosis, you want that person to have a lot of experience working with kids typically developing kids, neurodivergent kids, behaviorally challenged kids. You want to a person who's doing the evaluation to have lots of experience across the spectrum of, of working with kids so that they can say, you know, well, this is typical behavior. This is just the way that kids that be, that age behave. Or that behavior is very is quite expected given this circumstance in his life. Right. Um, or this behavior is... It is not typical and is indicative of, of an attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So you want somebody with that kind of experience because at some stage, every kid manifests all of these symptoms and it's quite typical for them to do so. It's right. You have to figure out when it becomes a functional impairment and when it's, you know, developmentally inappropriate. Right. That's right. So it's, it, it requires that knowledgeable assessment right that, that it's not just do i have symptoms it's an it's a three-part assessment that has to be done very carefully by somebody who really knows child development and somebody who, and, and adult development okay right. so it's not just we're not just talking about children we're talking about children and adults and we're also searching for impairment just mm-hmm. because you have the symptoms doesn't mean you have the diagnosis and we have to keep stressing that Right. Absolutely. So, so once we make the diagnosis, we move on to treatments. Treatments fall into three broad categories. Right. So if you're just entering this, this area, one is medication. Oh, you have to talk about medications. Mm-hmm. You have to talk about all of the behavior management things that you can do. And then there's an increasing area, um, and you can, you can mm-hmm. see it when you go on the Internet, of alternative, what we call alternative treatments. Right. So treatment is in medications, behavior therapy, and alternatives. And we want to talk about each one. When we start talking about treatment, we have to begin by saying at age six, because right. the American Academy, American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Psychological Association both encourage that if a child is younger than six, that you begin with behavior management. If a child is older than six, you begin with medication and behavior management. So six seems to be the cutoff. Um, So with that in mind, we wanna first talk about medications. Right, and and when we, as we talk about medications and, and talk about treatments in general, notice like what you just said, that it, it's rarely, if ever, that someone would recommend medication alone. Right. Um, remember that medication 
the way that we talk about medication and the way that we'd like for people to think about medication is medication makes the child's brain available to learn, makes right. the child's brain available to, to focus, to attend, and to gain the skills and build the skills that he or she needs. It doesn't teach skills itself. So if a kid is has ADHD and one of the characteristics of ADHD is difficulty organizing and planning and anticipating um, and those kinds of things. Taking medication doesn't make a child more organized, right? It, but it makes the child makes the child's brain more available to learn how to become organized. And that's where the behavior management strategies come in. And so we'll talk about that in just right. a minute. But with medications, we're talking about three broad classes. There, there are the stimulants, there are the non-stimulants, and then there's medications that are used off-label for treating ADHD. Mm -hmm. uh, the most common medic medications are the stimulant medications. And for the vast majority of kids with ADHD or even adults with ADHD, the stimulant medications are very effective. Mm -hmm. um, and, and About 80%. Yeah, the, the, but yeah. remember that there are going to be a number of children who don't respond to medication. They're, they don't affect all children, um, but they are effective in about 75 or 80% mm -hmm. of, of cases. Right. And so with the stimulants, um, you know, you have two kinds. You have the methylphenidate based. Um, and so those are the like Ritalin and Concerta and, and those kinds of medications. And then you have the amphetamine based, which is like Adderall and Vyvanse and, and, and so on. So for a variety of reasons, and, and they tend to be neurobiological reasons, methylphenidate works really well with some kids and amphetamines work really well with other kids. Right. Um, sometimes you a, a physician will try Ritalin with one patient and it doesn't go so well. They change to Adderall and there's the change that you were looking for. Um, it, it's there's some new testing that can be done that can help anticipate which one would be better for a child. Uh, but again, sometimes one medication works better than another medication. And sometimes even within the single class, sometimes Ritalin doesn't work as well as Concerta for some reason, even though they're both methylphenidate. Um, so sometimes you just have to, there, there is some um, experimentation that has to be done to, to figure out which one is best. Right. Yeah. Wh what these medications do is they just increase the amount of certain types of neurotransmitters, certain brain chemicals. Okay. And we don't know enough about that. Nobody knows enough about this to know exactly how these things work. Uh, the, it's it's a complex process. We do, really don't understand it. What we do know is that since 1938, individuals who have ADHD respond positively to these medications. You, when I say respond, it reduces symptoms right. and it doesn't cure anything, but it reduces symptoms. And as you said, it makes the child available mm -hmm. for teachers and parents. Okay, then then what teachers teach and parents manage behavior. Um, it it makes their job a little bit easier because you reduce the symptoms. Yeah, but it is a trial and error. You, you're you're going to try different medications until you find one that works. Not every medication works with every child. Right, and and you can have some children respond well to methylphenidate, then they quit working, and you have to switch to amphetamines. Mm -hmm. We don't know why, but we do. We can judge the response. So when you talk about medications, we're talking about the stimulants. But now there's a group of non-stimulant medications that have come out. Okay? Right. Parents who don't like to put their kids on stimulants do have a choice, and they can use 
what are called non-stimulant medications. Right. And, and the non-stimulants, my experience is that those medications tend to be best used in the kids who also have maybe co-occurring anxiety or um, some um, high levels of stress. Right. The, because in those kids, the stimulant medications may make some of that anxiety and stress a little bit worse. And so then they go to the non-stimulants and you, there's a variety of non-stimulants now. Uh, Stratera is one that the uh, generic is atomoxetine, but it's um, it, it works on uh, serotonin and norepinephrine. Serotonin, again, because of some of that, it helps with some of that anxiety. Um, guanfacine is one that's been around for a long time. Clonidine has been around for a long time. Those are actually old school um, blood pressure medications that seem to to work very well on the um, sympathetic nervous system and helps kids with, with ADHD, some kids with ADHD. Um, so there's a variety of non-stimulants that you know, people have that some people have found to be effective in, in managing some of those symptoms. Yeah, the most recent entrance is a, 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 a medication called Kelbri, which yeah. has appeared just recently. Um, we don't know a lot about it, but some kid, uh, some physicians are beginning to use that as well. Yeah. So there are some non-stimulant alternatives. Um, frequently, if you have children who are very, very thin, um, mm -hmm. and because we know that stimulants are an appetite suppressant, so you don't want to suppress the appetite in a kid who's already very thin. So you might, physicians might move to the non-stimulants, but it does give you an option. Right. And then there's a third category of drugs. We say off-label. These are drugs created for one condition that may help another condition. So for example, certain antidepressants um, might be helpful for some children with ADHD. Okay, a Wellbutrin, for example, yeah. um, has been tried with older children, adolescents, and adults. Yeah, and, and even some um, mood stabilizing and medications like Abilify um, has, have been used for kids with ADHD. And again, those those tend to be used in kids with ADHD with co-occurring conditions, exactly. depression, right. or you know, sometimes kids with uh, anger-related problems, or you know, they have significant such significant impulse control problems that they act out and they become really aggressive and things like that. Um, sometimes, like a, again, like Abilify and those kind of medications are used to help mediate some of that. Right. But this is where you need that very careful, right. knowledgeable differential diagnosis, because if the clinician sees more anxiety, then that's going to move you maybe in a different direction with medication, because you know that a stimulant might make the anxiety worse. But you have to see the anxiety. You have to be aware that anxiety could complicate the medication question. So it it's not just, it, again, we have to keep repeating that. It's not just having the symptoms. Right. You have to know all these other things. Right. Now, when you think about how the medications work, it, it is a, a complicated and somewhat, um, we don't really necessarily completely know why some of the yeah. medications work at times. We know that some of the areas of the brain that control things like inhibition and um, our ability to focus and those kind of things typically run off of neurotransmitters like dopamine and norepinephrine. And so taking medications like stimulant medications to increase those neurotransmitters in those regions of the brain, it, they help. Um, 
it, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't cure anything. It doesn't make the brain say, oh, well, maybe I should start making some more of this, these neurotransmitters. It, it doesn't do that. Um, it just provides more of those neurotransmitters so that the brain can function um, in the way that it needs to function. Right. Um, and, and as we've stressed, all it does really is reduce symptoms for a period of time. While the medications are effective, it reduces symptoms so that the child is more available to learn and to access information um, that they've stored in their brain. But that's about it. That's about what the medication does. Right. That's right. It, it's just going to reduce symptoms so that you can move on to the second type of intervention, which are all the behavior therapies. And every study that's ever been done for the past 50 or 60 years says a combination of medication and behavior management is the best way to deal with ADHD. When we talk about behavior management, we're talking about behavioral interventions that you can use with the child directly, or you can train teachers to use, or you can train parents to use. Right. And of all the people involved here, I think parents are probably the key, right. um, the key person, the key people to, to uh, manage children with ADHD, they spend the most time with the child and they have, they have the most knowledge about the child. Right? Well, and, and let's be honest, if the, if the kid's on medication, the teacher tends to have the child while they're on medication. Right. And by the time the parent right. has the child that evening, the, the child's not on medication anymore. Mm -hmm. um, right. the, the medication wears off. And so, you know, yeah, the parent is, it's really critical that the parent has some of these, these strategies. And, and it's important to say that we said it last week, but just to, to repeat, a kid with ADHD is a kid with ADHD. It doesn't, it doesn't every come day, from, every know, outing, every grade, every activity. If right. you have ADHD, it's always present. It doesn't right. just happen in church. It doesn't, doesn't just happen in math class. And it doesn't just happen because they ate some sugar. Um, right. it, it, right. It's there all the time. And right. so that is, you know, is important for the parent to know, not just because in the teacher and everybody else to know, not just because of, from a diagnostic perspective, right. it's important to know because we tend to work from the per, uh, perspective that kids want to behave. Kids want to do well. They want to meet our expectations. They want to make us happy. They want to, um, they don't want to get in trouble. Um, so when a kid does things repeatedly, and kids with ADHD will do things repeatedly that get them in trouble, they're not doing it intentionally. They're not doing it because they don't know right from wrong. They're not doing it because they want to upset you. They're doing it because they have ADHD. The very nature of impulsivity means that you're behaving without thinking about the consequences. Right. So when your kid does something and you say, what were you thinking? The answer is that they probably weren't. They weren't thinking right. about the consequences before they did it or else they wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. So, so punishment isn't the best strategy to use because if punishment worked, then they wouldn't be still doing it. Right. Um, what we need is more patience, more to take more time. And yes, repeating the same thing over and over and over again, just yeah. be prepared for that. You're just going to have to do that. That's right. If you have a child with ADHD, it's going to take that child is going to require more time, more patience, more attention than the other children you have. It's just and you are going to say the same things over and over and over and over. And it's not because the child is being willfully disobedient. Mm -hmm. It's because they have ADHD, plain and simple. So 
the goals of if you're if you're if you're a parent or if you're a, a partner of somebody with ADHD, you have sort of five simple things, simple, five simple things you need to do. Number one is prevention. You know, if you have a child that comes unraveled at Walmart, then don't take the child to Walmart. So prevent, maintain routines, help the child with school because they're not gonna be able to stay, keep that stuff organized. Keep things positive. Don't move toward punishment because it's not gonna work. So keep everything positive. And please understand there's not gonna be a quick fix. No matter what the advertisements promise, there is no quick fix. This is a lifelong endeavor. And there isn't a quick answer to it. It's going to require a great deal of work and a great deal of thought and a great deal of planning to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so we've talked about medications. We've talked about behavior management. And, and just to spend a moment on the on the alternative treatments, um, th there are lots of things out there on the Internet um, from supplements like uh, omega-3 and magnesium and zinc and some of those kinds of things to uh, neurofeedback. Um, there's an, there's an app, uh, for, for your phone that, um, reportedly will help with, um, focus and attention. Um, people talk about the use of music and exercise and some of these other things to help with ADHD. And yes, for some kids, many of these things can be very effective. Um, it isn't at the level where, as with medication, you know, 75 or 80% of kids with ADHD improve with these things. Mm -hmm. If they were, they would be great, you know, put a kid on a good exercise regimen and it cures ADHD. That would be amazing. Um, it, but it's not as predictable and it's not as consistent of findings as we see with some with medication and some of the other things. So um, so there are lots of other things that a person can do, a parent can do uh, for their kid with ADHD. And, and there's going to be a link in the show notes to uh, a, a site where you can go and read a little bit more about treating ADHD without medication. Um but just remember that um, while there are some anecdotal reports about the benefits of some of these things, the, the, the results just aren't as consistent as we see with, with the other uh, treatments. Right. And when you enter the world, of, if you're going to enter the world of alternative treatments, particularly with children, um, be very, very, very cautious because people say, well, I don't want to put my kid on drugs. So I'm going to put my kid on omega-3. Well, when you put stuff in your body and it goes to your brain, um, it, it really doesn't matter whether it's, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're putting stuff in your body and it's going to go to your brain. So parents say, well, I don't want to use drugs. I'm going to use, um, I'm going to use focus factor. Well, I'm sorry. Focus factor is designed to do the same thing that drugs do. Okay. Because if it didn't, it did, if it didn't, if it helps with the symptoms, the symptoms it's, are brain-based. So it's doing something to the brain. Right. You're, you're, you're still affecting dopamine and norepinephrine. That's what you're trying to do. Right. Okay. So don't, don't say, well, I'm not going to do it because, because supplements are not dangerous. If you're two things, whenever you go to Google and you see AD besides on the upper left, that means that's an advertisement. Okay. So be very careful when you're reading advertisements. All right. Cause they're going to make everything sound effective. Um, if you're going to move to alternatives, be sure to check with your pediatrician because they have to know that you're doing this. All right. Because there are interactions that you can get into. So no matter what you do, make sure the pediatrician knows what you're doing and be very, very careful when you get 
There's a thing called Brilia, Synapto, Focus Factor, Chillax. There are hundreds, go on to Amazon. There are hundreds of, 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 uh, of uh, products available to treat ADHD. And they all have testimonials and they all sound like they're effective. But please be very, very careful. Right. Um, there are some computer-based programs, neurofeedback, play attention is another one. A lot of drain, brain training programs. We don't know how well they work yet. We just don't have enough research to say, yes, this works, okay? So be careful. Same with diets. You can add stuff to your diet or you can eliminate stuff from your diet. If it works, probably no harm done. It doesn't hurt a kid to have a little more protein. Right. Um, it doesn't hurt a kid to reduce fats or to reduce sugar. There's a lot of benefits to reducing sugar. Um, but if you have a child with ADHD, remember sleep, exercise and nutrition no matter what else you do you should be working on those three things because those will assist those could create make adhd worse and they could help you manage adhd if they're going well right yeah and, and you know and we could do a whole other podcast on on some of those things because you know many times people parents will parents will look for treatment to enhance performance rather than treat impairments, um, you know, a kid is sleep deprived um, because they're not sleeping very well. And so they start falling asleep in, in class. And then, you know, people start saying, oh, well, maybe he has ADHD, the inattentive type. And that's why he keeps, you know, not paying attention and focusing in class. Well, it could be because he's getting three hours of sleep a night. Right. Um, right. So we have to be careful that we're not providing treatment, especially medication, to 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 try to enhance performance, help a kid do better. You know, my kid makes B's, but I really think he can make A's. And so, if he's on medication, you know, he can focus a little bit better and get more work done. That that's not a very that's not a proper use of the medication for one and for two. It's not going to really be effective that way. Um, so, we have to be mindful of that. You know, one of the if if we have a minute, one of the things we worry about. Parents always ask, well, what is the risk for addiction? Well, if you, if, you, if you use these medications to enhance performance, and you frequently hear kids say, well, if I have to study for a test, I'll take Adderall. If I have to do a paper, I'll take Adderall. Mm -hmm. That's the slippery slope toward addiction, all right? If, because you're not treating impairment. Right. You're, you're looking for performance enhancement, and there's an enormous difference between the two. Right. These medications were not meant to be used to get A's instead of B's or to be able to do homework or to be able to do anything. They were meant to treat real impairment. Right. And if, if you're using it for that, the risk for addiction is very low. If you're using it for performance enhancement, the risk for addiction goes up. So be very, very, very careful about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, there, there are links to several articles in the show notes um, to, so that you can read a little bit more about some of the things that we've talked about today. Um, there, I just, I think we could just say um, safely that there's never going to be enough said about ADHD. It's just going to keep coming up and we're going to have to keep talking about it. And so if you have questions or um you just want to know more about some of this, let us know. And we are always happy to, to share more about what's going on with ADHD and treatment and everything else. So, all right, well, that is it for, that's it for this week until next time, stay happy, stay healthy 
and forget to be afraid.